time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. So what is it that makes this life matter? That's what we want to talk about today because that's why we engage in it. This is Lee Balkum. This is the Thrivology Podcast, and this is the third episode in the series on living your engagement, of being engaged, of having the engaged life. I'm so glad you're here because that tells me that there's some piece of you that's saying, I want more. I'm also in gratitude for you being here, knowing that you only have so much time and you're spending that time with me. So we want to make sure that we dig in here and we really try to engage in that process. So let me ask again, what makes life, what makes life so precious? Well, because life is limited. That's what gives it value. If you had all the years forever in, in front of you, it doesn't matter what you do with today. But if you don't know when this is the last day, when you don't know how many days there are, suddenly they become valuable. Some years ago, I had a client who would know that it would rattle me and know they would get me upset. He would always rush out the door, grabbing his hat, grabbing his coat, looking at me and saying, got to go, time is money. And off he would go. And indeed, he charged for his time. He was an attorney, well-paid attorney. And that was his thing, his exit with me every week. And, and every week, uh, I would get frustrated with him because I felt like he wasn't quite getting it. And then one day he came in and he said, you know what? I know you've been saying this all along, but you're right. Time isn't money. And I said, you're right. It's not. The reason time isn't money is this. You can always make more money. You can't make more time. You can also count your money. But you can't count your time. If I want to make more money, I could sell my stuff and have more money. If I wanted to make more money, I can spend my time at work doing more things to bring that in. But what can I do to make more time? All I can do is make sure that the time I'm spending is in the way that I want it to be. At the beginning of my career, I spent it as a hospital chaplain. Spent lots of evenings with people who were facing the end of their lives. We faced lots of existential questions together. Lots of them were wondering if they'd spent their life well. For many of them, it was too late to spend it differently. For some of them, they took that opportunity as a chance to maybe redo things. As many people as I saw there who left with a renewed sense of life, I saw other people leave with the desperation of not sure how to live it out because they realized that there is only so much time left. About 15 years ago, I had the same experience. I had a doctor who told us that I was headed for disability. I was pretty sick at that point and headed for disability. And unfortunately, I also knew, thanks to WebMD and all the other websites I could get back at 15 years ago, that you know I was headed to some pretty bad stuff. And my diagnosis was correct. The prognosis was incorrect. I lived through it. Some pretty tough time. It took me about a year to recover. But part of what it taught me is the question of, am I spending my time the way I want to? I refer to this last 15 years as my bonus time because I didn't know how much time I would have. So all of it has been bonus. A lot more years than I thought I would have at that point. And part of what it's done is have me reflect on 
what's important here. So part of what I do on a daily basis is think about the fact that this is limited. In my pocket, I carry a coin. You might have just heard it clink because I pulled it out. And on the front size, it says, Memento Mori. And on the back size, it says, you could leave life right now. Memento Mori is a phrase meaning, a Latin phrase meaning, remember your death. And it's a reminder to me that every day is precious because I don't know how long I have. Now, let me just say that this is a, a stoic process, and there are a lot of other religions uh, that also, and philosophies, that believe you should reflect on the fact that there is a limit to life in order to bring life value. So it's not so much of me thinking about the fact of how I might die and how that might happen as much as the fact that I am going to die. That's the, the reality. I'm going to die. You're going to die. We're all going to die. That's an inescapable fact. And we do a lot in our culture to avoid that. And because of that, sometimes we lose track of how precious that time is. So part of this living your engagement has two pieces to it. How to use your resource of time the best way you can. And the second thing is how to maximize that resource. After I was sick, one of the things I became very clear about very quickly was I was out of shape, not well rested, stressed out, and not doing much about that. I ate poorly. I didn't exercise. I didn't do anything to extend my life. Now, some people have believed that the reason I got better is because I got healthier. The fact is, I got fortunate. I got lucky with what I had. They were right about what I had. It just wasn't the chronic version. I had an acute version of the illness. And so it burned itself out in my body. It was a pretty painful time. And the doctor that I finally saw, the specialist, said, you know, I have two things to tell you. Uh, it's the good news and bad news. The good news is you're going to get better. The bad news is I can't do anything to make you feel better in the meantime. It was tough to hear, but relieving to hear. So after that, my wife decided that I might need to do some things that I'd been talking about doing but hadn't done yet, and one of those was learn to scuba dive. And so she bought me some lessons, and I went to those lessons, and I swam a, the links of the pool as part of the test, and I made it. I, I struggled all the way through it. Part of what propels me forward is being a stubborn person, and so I refused to relent until I pulled myself out of the pool successfully. And I flopped myself up onto the pool deck beside the instructor, and I said, okay, I get it. If your whole thing here was, we need to be in better shape, I got that. I'm going to get in better shape. I don't think that was his intention, since I've known him now for 15 years, and he's a good friend of mine. I don't think that was what he intended to have me learn, but I learned it. That next day, I went to the gym and started working on how I can maximize my time here. Because it's not just about how to use the resource of time that we have, but how to make sure we have as much of that as possible. So how do we maximize that? Part of what I wanted to do was to make sure I use my time well toward a purpose in service of my contribution to the world for as long as possible. So my realization was that this body that I had not treated well had to get me as far through life as possible. I had already spent a lot of years not taking care of it. So at about 38 years of not being particularly healthy or exercising or resting well, my body had uh, to work back up to that. And it took a while for me to get to a place which now at 53, I can pretty much tell you I'm in better shape than I've ever been in my life 
that doesn't mean that I'm going to escape death. It doesn't mean that tomorrow something might not happen to me. What it does mean is that I'm doing what I can to control the pieces of the puzzle I can in order to go as far as possible. So the maximizing pieces I want to talk about today are in three areas of wellness, joy, and creativity. What I try to do around wellness is break it down as simply as possible. There's a whole series in my podcast on the thriving body, and I go in depth for several weeks, several episodes about how to maximize these different areas, but I want to name them for you so that you can have them just as the simple targets. You know, sometimes we get, we make it very complex, so let's make it very simple. For me, wellness is all around how you fuel your body, move your body, rest your body, and ease your body. In other words, how you eat, how you exercise, how you sleep, and how you deal with stress. If you work on those areas, you begin to master in some very fundamental ways how your body reacts to the world around it and how well it's prepared to take on the struggles that come along. So what we know about the human body is it will break down. You don't know how, you don't know when. Something will happen. You don't know how, you don't know when. What can you do to get the best head start on you know, going into whatever happens to you to either push it out as far as possible or to have the capacity of dealing with it when it happens. So the first one, eating. How you fuel your body. In our culture, we have gotten into the place where we often are eating either in a rush or much too richly. No other time in human history except for the last bit has it been possible for us to get such uh, such refined sugar and refined carbs, and our bodies are paying a price. Scientists are more and more aware of the fact that lots of our problems are from sugar. Sugar comes to us through sugar and through simple carbs, processed foods. So part of the fueling challenge is for us to understand that, th- that every time we're putting something into our mouths, we're doing the fueling, Right. You probably aren't going to dump lots of yucky stuff into your car. You're probably going to give it decent gas. You might not do high test gas, but you're not going to give it the worst fuel. You're going to get try to get what is going to make it run clean. And yet we don't do that to our own bodies. So part of our challenge in the wellness place is to start with what we fuel ourselves. When I started changing things, I started going to the gym. It seemed to be the easiest thing to do. So I'd go to the gym and I would exercise. I was doing a very simple uh, process that the Y, the local Y had set together for people to get started. And so it was from some very simple weights and weight machines and a little bit of cardio. And I remember sudden, suddenly one day after I had done all of that exercise, I was about to eat something and it was just a sugary treat out of pastry or something. And I thought, what am I doing? I'm about to undo everything I just did. Everything I put that work, it's just for nothing. And so I realized that the cornerstone of health was and how I feed myself. Most uh, scientists and, and most physiologists now understand that the, the root of weight management is not exercise. It's how we fuel ourselves. There are lots of different ways you might find that. But what you want to begin doing is culturing a mindset, if you haven't already, that, the, that whatever is going in is fuel. Is it good fuel or bad fuel? Is it fast burn fuel or is it slow burn fuel? 
For myself, I've decided for as much as possible to get away from simple carbs. I cut out all colas probably seven or eight years ago. I haven't had a soft drink in seven or eight years with one exception. When I was in India and somebody kindly offered me a Coke on a hot day, I drank it because I wanted to make sure that I was a good guest. Other than that, I don't have soft drinks. That was one way for me to, as easily as possible, get rid of one area of the extra uh, sugar carbs. Then I began to reform around different snacks. And one of the things that I realized was how addictive that sugar is to us. The way I realized it is because I was doing uh, the slow-carb diet, which is Tim Ferriss's creation, where you get rid of the things that are white or could be white. So that would be rice and sugar and flour and uh, baked potatoes, things like that. And you replace them because there's, there was a fast-burn carbs, which means they spike your blood sugar, which has all kinds of uh, bad implications for our, our body's health. And you switch it for slow-burn carbs. And so it spent a, lot, spent a long time avoiding that sugar, any refined sugar. What I remember is how much my mind would go thinking about sugary things. I would be in session with people thinking about cookies and cake and pie. I don't even like cake and pie and ice cream. I do like ice cream and other things that were trying, it was trying to, my body trying to get my attention. And so then there was this moment when I was at an event where people were eating chips out of bags and I realized that they had gone into a trance. They looked like people who were attracted to a drug and, and couldn't help themselves. And I realized that that's what happens to our brain. It's hijacked to want that quick fix of carbs, which made sense when it was rare many millennia ago, not so much when in recent centuries when it's readily available at any point. And so our brain is still living way back in that old time when it, it needed to get the quick carbs, but we're now caught up in doing that on a daily basis. And so one of the things I did was to try to undo that addiction. It's a challenge, I will tell you. It's a challenge to do that because it gets a grip on us. And a lot of people would say, oh, I'm not about sweets, I'm about salts. The problem is the salts they were telling me about were chips and popcorn and pretzels, which all turn to sweets in your belly. They go straight to sugar. So part of where we can get some really quick um, solutions to this is to start looking at those extra sugar carbs. And by the way, the answer is not sugar substitutes, which also mess with your gut biome and do more damage. So you might want to look at those ways that you're fueling your body because that fuel is what carries your body forward. The second thing is moving, exercise. The problem is that we begin to overestimate how much we need to do to make a difference. And so a lot of times people decide that if they can't do a full workout or, or you know, they can't do an hour of running, that they're just going to do nothing. The fact is that even 10, 15 minutes of walking in a day can help your body so many ways in how it's processing stress and how it's also processing uh, the stress hormones and lots of other pieces going on in your body, just 15, 10, 15 minutes. In fact, if you look online, you can read about the seven-minute workout that lots of people use just to begin doing some body weight exercises to get their body back to where it needs to be. Seven minutes. The whole circuit takes seven minutes. So a lot of times people say to me, hey, I don't have time for the exercise. My day is just too busy, to which I say seven minutes 
Can you find 10 minutes to go do that right before you take a shower so you don't even have to shower again? Seven, 10 minutes, that's, that's it. It takes nothing of equipment or 10, 15 minutes of a walk. Can you grab that time at lunch? You can always do more. But my point is that we start somewhere. I didn't start with taking a five-mile walk. I didn't start with paddleboarding or trail running. I started with a little circuit in the Y that took me about 20, 25 minutes to finish. Now I know I could have started with seven minutes. But we find a place to start so that our body can begin to gain its, its sustenance back. Bodies need to move. We're designed to be in motion. And our, our modern world often leaves us in a lack of motion, sitting a lot of the time. So begin to figure out where else, and if you're already moving, where else you can move in maybe more wholesome ways or more well-rounded ways. If you do a lot of things that tighten up your body to maybe find some ways of stretching, finding some ways of challenging your body. The next area of resting is simply about making sure we get necessary sleep. So how do you calculate that? Well, most science shows that humans need about six to nine hours. Most people in the sweet spot are about seven and a half to eight and a half hours of sleep a night. And so it's a real easy calculation. You just simply ask the question, what time do I need to get up and count back? About eight hours, and that's your bedtime. And then the second question is, how do I need to ease into bedtime? I try to be uh, fairly regular about that. My getting up time is exactly the same. It varies an hour if I'm working on a project, but I do that same time every morning because I want to make sure that I have a consistent sleep pattern to my body. What I try to do is stop with media. So I try not to use my iPhone or tablet or anything else uh, a few hours before I go to bed. And when I do use them, I use them with the blue filter on, which means that the blue light is reduced and that helps. Part of what happens with our technologies today is it tells our brain that it needs to be going, it needs to be awake, it needs to be alert. And so we get signals from these uh, different devices we have that are automatically just in the light telling our body to be awake. The second thing we're doing is, you know, right before we go to bed, we say, okay, I'm, I'm going to head to bed right after I check, check Facebook, Instagram, uh, maybe look at my email, see what I have to do tomorrow, and check up on the news. Now, that's not necessarily going to leave you ready to go to bed, if not putting you off a long time before bed. So deciding your time to go to bed and keeping that a rigid place is, is very helpful for sleep patterns. Making sure that you're reducing your stimulation as you go through the evening, maybe making sure you don't use caffeine. And by the way, a lot of people say, well, you know, I grab a, a nightcap to kind of relax me. I understand that alcohol also disrupts your sleep process. So a lot of the things that we naturally do get us into trouble. And what you're basically trying to do is straighten out your patterns. And that leads us to the last piece of the pattern, which is how you deal with stress. I talked about a few episodes back the fact that stress is our internal response to the external event. It's about our thought process, that we forget that a thought is just a thought. It's just something our mind cooked up, our brain created. And we have a choice on whether we're going to get wrapped up in it or not, and how we're going to reply to that, how we're going to respond to that. If you want some more information on how to work on your thriving body and how to deal with those thoughts, just check out the show notes. I've got related resources tied in there that will link you to those, and then you can kind of pick and choose which one makes sense for you, or maybe all of them make sense for you to make sure that you're taking care of yourself in, in the wellness area. 
Remember, there are a lot of things you don't have control over. Your genetics, you don't have any control over. But how you react and respond to your environment has a lot more to do with your wellness than the genes you're born with. There are some things we can't escape, so we control what we can, and then we're at least doing our part. So the next way of maximizing is about joy. A lot of times people come to me and they say, you know, I just don't feel happy. Help me be happy. And the problem with happy is it it shares a root with happen. Happy and happen. You'll notice that same root, which means it's about something external coming to you. People are happy when they get good news. That's different than joy, which comes from a deep contentment with life from inside and an internal place. It's not based on what's going on out there. It's about building a life that you feel is worth living and loving into that life based on what you find value and worth around you. It's not about your own worth. It's about making your life worthwhile. When we do that, it tends to bring in that joy. When I'm talking with people who don't feel a great sense of happiness, sometimes what they're really wanting is that joy. They just don't know it. So how do we deal with happy? Usually hedonic happiness is what we're pursuing. Something out there, going to that party, going to the concert, something out there is going to make me happy. Finding the right person, finding the right house, the right place to live, the right car to drive, something external out there that if it finally, you know, if I just won the lottery, that would finally make me happy. That does nothing to our internal life. In fact, the happy stuff tends to fade away pretty quickly. Joy is different. Eudaimonic happiness is when we are doing things because it's outside of ourselves. Volunteering, finding our mission, finding our purpose, doing something that has a deeper sense of meaning for us. Now, that doesn't mean it's always happy, right? If you're a parent, you know that those are, there are moments of joy with that, and there are also moments of agony with that. And we're doing that to reach outside of ourselves. Our best parenting comes when we are focused on that child and what's best for that child. That's a eudaimonic approach. The same with our job. What brings us deeper meaning and purpose? How do you serve in a way that doesn't deplete you, but actually fills you so that you're full of that joy? So joy is a way of living out your engagement. The other is creativity. Creative and reactive are very similar words. You just switch a letter and you become creative or reactive. Reactive is when we are just kind of in reaction to people around us and events around us. Creative is when we're choosing what's around us, when we're choosing how we respond, when we're choosing how we move forward. We always have a choice on whether we're going to be creative or reactive. When we're reactive, we're in a defensive mode. When we're create, creative, we're looking for something bigger than us, beyond us. We humans are naturally creative creatures. If you look at our history, we have created and created. We've transformed the world for good and ill in creative ways. We've expanded where we live in creative ways. We figured out how to use instruments in creative ways. You look at an animal. Last week, my wife and I were at the zoo. We can talk about the ethics of the zoo another time. But there were these animals in the cold that were not able to fend for themselves. We had chosen our clothing. We had chosen how to deal with the the cool and the rainy weather that was there or not chosen well, as it it may play out. But we we could control our environment. They couldn't. We We had the creative capacity of saying, you know what, today we need to wear our rain gear. 
the animals weren't doing that very much. We humans are naturally creative. When we don't tap into that creativity, we lose a part of ourselves. And you can be creative in any way you want. You can be creative in how do you respond to the world. You can be creative in what you bring into the world. You can be creative in creation, creating music, creating art, creating wonder around you, creating a family, creating values and meaning and purpose and creating a job. I mean, so many ways we can be creative. Part of living our engagement is making sure that we're working from that place of creativity, not reactivity. So those are your ways of living out your engagement. Working on the wellness. Living a life of creativity. Finding your deep place of joy. The engaged life starts with us understanding that it's about passion, purpose, and presence. How we bring those more into our lives, that engages us naturally. Then we can amplify that by working on our gratitude, our spirituality, and our sense of awe in the world. Then we can make it last if we focus on our wellness and our creativity and our joy. Those are the ways that we move towards the engaged life. If this has been helpful, I hope you will share this series with other people so they can find ways of being more deeply engaged. You can do that by writing a review in iTunes. If you want to just send out a little love uh, with Twitter, you can go open up your uh, just a browser and type in uh, thrivology.com slash love. Show us a little Twitter love. That's thrivology.com slash love. Gives you a pre-populated tweet that you can send out and just let people know how to find this. You can also share the webpage, lots of different ways on that. Share it on Facebook or other ways. But make sure that we're building an engaged world where we're truly engaged, not in angry, divisive ways, but in creative and connected ways that reflect who we want to be as people. If this series has been helpful and you want to carry on more of a conversation about how to thrive... I hope you'll check out my book on Thrive Principles. Those are 15 strategies for building your thriving life. You can find that by going to thethriveprinciples.com or thriveprinciples.com. Or you can visit my website and learn all about my books at leebalkum.com. That's L-E-E-B-A-U-C-O-M.com. That's L-E-E-B-A-U-C-O-M.com. Leebalkum.com. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you build your thriving life. You've been listening to the Thrivology Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at thrivology.com or at thrivologymagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T-H-R-I-V-E-O-L-O-G-Y. It's your life. Time to live it. Thrivology.